So uh, I'll tell you, at some point in your journey spiritually, wherever you are on your journey, and I know we've got folks here, you're not Christians, uh, you're, you're, you know, you, you may become a Christian, you're considering it, you've been away from Christianity. We got folks here who've just always been, you know, as much as long as they can remember, part of a church and all that kind of thing. It's why we say all walks of life in our mission statement. But there, there's just times in our journey where being a Christian is one of these three things. It's just hard, it's not easy, and it's challenging, right? And, and it could just be that you know you got to do something, it's what God wants done, and God, you're just like, God, it's just so hard to do that. Or, man, this is just not easy. You know, you may be the teenager and you're trying to walk for Jesus and you're in school and no one else around you is. I've been there and I've done that. I understand. And it's hard. It's not easy. And it's challenging. You know, you, when you first became a Christian, man, you, God gave you this great feeling and you had this joy and you knew you were going to heaven. And then, you know, six weeks, six months later, you faced persecution, you faced suffering, and you, were, and you began to realize the scope of God's lordship was indeed he wanted all of you, not part of you, not some of you. And you're not, man, it is hard. It is not easy and it's challenging. You're not yet a Christian. And, and one of the reasons you're not yet a Christian is because you bumped in against something and you're like, man, it's hard, it's not easy, and it's challenging. And, and so all of us, in our journeys with Christ, and our journeys through the Bible, and our journeys with God, we're just going to bump up, and it's just going to be hard, not easy, and challenging, right? And, and, and there's a movement, and let me just be honest, there's a movement in my heart where I, where I want to redefine Christianity or ignore certain scriptures to avoid these kind of things because we're, we're in a soft culture, right? We're in a culture where what we want more than anything is comfort and convenience and easy. Make it easier, right? And that leads to some good things, but it can also lead to a sort of a, 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 a non-biblical understanding or a non-biblical Christianity, right? There, there's even guys like me that wear a microphone and preach sermons, and they'll tell Tell you anything like this is not of God, and that God just wants you to have easy and prosperity uh, as an American sense, right? And, and 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 it's called the prosperity gospel, and you know it's like, hey, God wants you to live the American dream, right? And we just can't find that in Scripture. So so it's part of my job is to sort of teach the whole counsel of God, even when it's hard, not easy, and challenging. And so here, here's the decision point. I'm just going to tell you it up front, okay? The decision point is this, and you may not yet understand it, but, but by God's help that we asked for a few minutes ago, we're going to get into God's Word. I think it's going to, I'm praying for some awesome breakthrough. Here's the decision point. When our next step with God is hard, just resolve to take it no matter what. When our next step with God is hard, just resolve to take it no matter what. Okay, that's the decision point. And, and I, here's, here's what I know. Uh, some of you are there right now, okay? Some of you are there right now. You know, I, and it could be on a, a hundred different things, but when the, when the next step is hard or not easy or challenging, I'm going to resolve to take it no matter what. Now, here's what I want to do. I want us to walk through a passage in the Gospel of John. We're in the Gospel of John, this entire series, except for part one, and we're going to see Jesus teach this, but really give us a handlebar to really motivate us, empower us to actually make this kind of decision. Because by yourself, by myself, left to myself, I'm not going to do this. Left to myself, I'm going to redefine Christianity, walk away from Christianity, settle for a second-rate Christianity, it, by, left to myself. 
And thankfully, God doesn't do that, right? He gives us his word. He gives us his church. He gives us his spirit. So here we go. Word of God, John's gospel, chapter 12. So the backdrop of this is Jesus has just resurrected Lazarus from the dead. So as you can imagine, there's a lot of people curious about Jesus. He's got his popularity rating. Like if you did an approval rating at this moment in time, his approval rating is through the charts. I mean, our president would be jealous of it, right? I mean, it is through the charts. So here's what it says. Now some Greeks went up among those who were to worship at the festival, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, sir, we want to see Jesus. Now I just highlight the Greek word, this word about the Greeks, just to show us that Christianity is always designed to reach all people, right? And I think John points that out. But the bottom line is they're coming to see Jesus, and it's more of a pop culture fascination. It's kind of like how I, you know, we get all excited about certain TV shows and they just become faddish and, hey, did you see Yellowstone or, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, or, and we, or whatever it is. You know, hey, everybody, the fad right now is, hey, the NFL playoffs, and we just all get attracted to that. Or, hey, this color is in, this color is out, so we need to paint our house this color until it changes next week, right? I mean, all that kind of stuff. And so Jesus has, has, is, has that kind of pop culture faddish, everybody's curious about Jesus. He just raised a guy from the dead. So Philip goes and tells Andrew, then Andrew went and told Jesus. And and what we need to see in in the Greek seeking of Jesus simply for a pop culture reason and and simply out of just curiosity that, that, that's not really leading anywhere, is we need to see something that is so true of our hearts, just as it is of the Greek's heart in this story here, all right? There's a God we want, and there's a God who is, and they're not the same. This, is, this becomes a turning point, a decision point moment. There's a God you want, and, and when you rebel against God or you question God, in your mind, you're not thinking this maybe explicitly, but it's there. If I were God, right, that would not be a commandment, so I'll just ignore it. If I were God, I wouldn't have let that happen, so I'll get mad at the God who is. And, and, and you can just go on, and you can go on, and you can go on. So, so the lesson coming into this story is the Greeks, the, there's a God they want and there's a God who is, and they're not the same. And Jesus is going to make that abundantly clear. The people that crucified Jesus literally in history, there was a God they wanted and there's a God who is. So they killed the God who is, right? But, but that's what I do. God, I want you to do this, and when you're not or your word tells me differently, I, I, I sort of kill God in that area of my life or don't give him the authority in that area in my life because it's hard, it's not easy, and it's challenging. And, and, and there is a reconstruction of God going on in our nation right now to make God more like the God we want. Whether it's, you know, grandpa God, you know, the, the nice old guy that just kind of gives you wisdom or genie in a bottle God or spare tire Jesus. You know, he's in the trunk. We don't, he doesn't have the steering wheel, but if we need him, he's there. I mean, there's just all kinds of reconstruction of God going on. 
And what we just need to see is there's a God we want and there's a God who is and they're not the same. And Jesus is going to make that clear right now. Here's what he says. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This word hour, very significant in John, it always is talking about the passion, the, 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 de- the last week of Jesus' life, what we call the events of the gospel, the death, the burial, and then the resurrection of Jesus. And it's, he says it's been that for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he now talks about what's going on in this glorification in this hour. And he uses a little an example that we'll call the principle of the seed, which is the principle that the kingdom of heaven operates on. And here's what he says. So truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. So if I just have a seed in my hand, and I never throw it in the ground, it's worthless. It just dies. It, it, its potential is never realized. Fruit is never produced. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. It does what it's supposed to do. So power and potential are realized through death. And so he's obviously thinking about his own death, his own hour, where he will be put into the ground, and then he will come out of the ground in resurrection, making the kingdom available to sinners like you and me, and opening a way for us to go to heaven, have eternal life, and all those kind of things that we we like to talk about sometimes, right? So he gives us this principle, and we call it the principle of the seed, and it's a death and resurrection principle. That good, good things, better things, the best things come in this order. There's a death first, and there's a resurrection, a fruitfulness that happens. Farmers get it. Uh, I, I would submit to you a lot of people get it, but we're just going to look at it through the kingdom, right? That God's best comes through the hard, the not easy, and the challenging. This is where you and, I are, you're, you and I are tempted to not believe the Bible. This is where you and I are tempted to remake God. This is where it's like, oh, preacher, you're stepping on my toes. No, I'm, I'm just kind of relaying what Jesus is teaching. God's best comes through the heart. Now, let me stop, though, and say this, right, okay? As much as, let's just take Bible Christianity out of it, okay? Let's just, just, just for a second, okay? If you just listen to that part of the sermon, you're like, what kind of preacher is this? But hold on, right? So let's just take God Bible out of it. Most of us recognize that the best things we've had in life took a little work, right? I mean, if I pulled up some couples in this room that have been married 50 plus years, they'll tell you the best marriage came through hard conversations or hard seasons, and that, that produced a great marriage. If, if we went and grabbed the, the NFL people who were going to play this weekend you know, and you said, how did you become one of the best players of this game in the world? They'll say, well, I had to train hard. There were times when it was not easy. There were times when it was, not, it was challenging. So we know that when it comes to like physical stuff. When we know that when it comes to like people who have started a business and that, that kind of flourish. We know that when it comes to great marriages that last and that endure. But when it comes to God actually putting that principle and saying, hey, your life might need to be aligned with that principle. Whoa. No, 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 no. God, you're supposed to keep me from hard. God, you're supposed to get me through hard, not actually invite me into hard. But that's exactly what Jesus is doing. Here's here's what he says. This gets even more like kind of up in our face a little bit. He's like, the one who loves his life will lose it. So if you hold on to your life, you'll actually lose it. 
but the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And he's talking about what drives you and your values and what you're oriented around. Uh, So the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And and where's Jesus going? A few chapters in John, as we're all reading through the Gospel of John this month, or this series, excuse me, uh, as we read through it, where's Jesus going? He's going to a cross. Yeah, there's a resurrection on the other side of the cross, which we're thankful for, but it goes through a cross. So he's like, hey, if, if anyone's going to serve me, he must follow me. And, and he's talking, his hour has come. And that hour is his death to resurrection. And he says, where, my, where I am, there my servant also will be. So he's telling us we've got to embrace the principle of the seed. Now, the Greeks, when they came to see Jesus, they didn't want to hear that. It's hard. It's not easy. It's challenging. And then finally, he says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And and this is where I've been praying all, all this week that God would help us see something. Because I, I really believe this is, a, this is a breakthrough thing that's sort of gotten lost in the, in, the, in, the, in the church conversation, right? Many people know of what I'll call the payment of the cross. Jesus paid for my sins. He died for my sins. He substituted himself. I, you know, I was the starting pitcher, and I just, man, I just did terrible, and I needed somebody to bail me out. I couldn't finish it. Jesus was my substitute on the cross. So many of us know the payment of the, on the cross, but we don't know of the fellowship of the cross, that we're actually supposed to not just look at the cross and say, wow, Jesus paid for my sins. That's true. We're actually supposed to fellowship with Jesus on the cross in the principle of the seed, that there's a dying that we must undergo, just like the seed must undergo, in order for God's new life to rise up in us and bear fruit through us. You say it that way. All right? And so many people want to stop and put a period right here where I've put a comma, okay? And, and, and you know, we sing the song, Jesus paid it all, 100,000% true. But we stop when we don't understand that Jesus, part of the call of God, is inviting us into the principle of the seed, the death and resurrection, that God's best comes through hard, not easy, and challenging. Paul, later on, would take this principle and say it in a very autobiographical statement that's very, very powerful. Listen to what he says. This is Paul taking this principle of the seed that Jesus taught in John 12, and Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, rephrasing it in one sentence. Here's what he says. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, why doesn't he say Christ was crucified for me? That's true too, right? He's talking about, I am identifying with Jesus on the cross, and I no longer live. I am not living for myself. I am not living into my sin nature. I, I do not have the steering wheel of my life anymore. My life is not in my hands. I have died to control. I've died to ego. I've died to pride. I've died to my sin. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Death, resurrection. 
God's best comes through hard. The life I now live in the body, it's like you and me, we got a body. I live by faith, trust, reliance, deep dependence upon in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's the for me part. So it's both at the cross. Yeah, he died for me, but I died with him. See it? God help us see it. We got to see it. We got to see it. All right? You got to see that, right? Jesus did die for me. Jesus did die instead of me. It's right there. But I also died with him. It's the principle of the seed. See that. Now, we could just stop right there, right? But, but let's understand this. Deep in the heart of God, God's goal for you is always the best. He always wants best. Best. And he knows that best can often come through hard. Isn't it true, though? Probably like, just think about, think about this. Your best teachers, your best coaches, they brought the best out of you, but they took you through what? Hard, not easy, and challenging. So, so let's just take two of the most popular, most frequently quoted, frequently memorized verses of Scripture. And, and, and let's see how we can sometimes miss this whole principle of the seed at work. So, so one of the ones, and, and this may be some of your life verses, you've seen it on a, maybe a T-shirt, uh, you know, even that some of you that, that maybe aren't Christians or don't come to church, you, you might even have heard people say this. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, right? Very popular. Man, it's, it's very exciting to think, man, God's got a plan for my life. True. It's very exciting to think, man, God's got a good plan for my life. True. But let's not miss the principle of the seed in that verse or in that section of verses. Look, at here it is. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your future and well-being and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Now, we just stop there, right? All of, we all want the fruit, okay? But do we want the death before the fruit? So look at what he says. Here, here it is. You will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. There it is. The death is, I've got to seek God as a priority with some level of exclusivity in order to reap the best part, the fruit part. I know the plans I have for you. My life verse, leaned on it more times than I can count. Many of you, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? My life verse, two verses actually, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. He'll direct your path. Man, I get fixated on that. God, direct my path. Direct my path. God, make my path straight. God, help me make my path straight. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've said this to myself. But I, there's a dying part, too. Do not rely on your own understanding. Well, here's what I think about that. Here's what I want to happen. No, 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 no. Do you want God to direct your path? There's got to be a death, and then there's a direction. It's all there. It's all there. And, and so we got a tension, right? A tension that exists in us and that we see in real biblical Christianity. And, and the, the tension is we have the promises of God, and, and, and the promises of God are so compelling and so beautiful and so powerful, atheists would want them. Hey, do you want a prosperous life? Yes. Hey, do you want to live forever? Yes. Right? 
I mean, it's no brainer. We don't, you don't have to twist anybody's arm. You don't have to threaten anybody. People want promises, and they want promises that are sure. But we have conditions that go with the promises. And so that, there's a tension there, a tension. And so what happens is we put our attention in the wrong position. Some people want to focus on the conditions of God's word without the promises, the conditions of the seed has to die. And, and that tends to produce Christians who get real self-righteous because they meet the three or four conditions that, that they've been taught matter most, and they're proud of themselves, so they get self-righteous. Or Christians or people who are just burdened with guilt or non-Christians who won't become a Christian because they're like, man, I can't meet the conditions, right? And, and, and so we put our attention on our And then there's some people who focus on the promises without the conditions, and then when the promise lets you down, you doubt the promise keeper, but you might, we may not have embraced the full scope of the promise, which includes the condition, and it's all wrapped up in the principle of the seed. Right? Say it this way. God could not save anybody, much less me or you, unless he died. The seed had to go in the ground to come alive and produce fruit. Happens all the time, right? So we, we put our attention in the wrong position, and just Jesus is putting them together in a beautiful way with this little metaphor that everybody in the first century would understand because they were all agricultural kind of based economy. They understood what farmers did, and most of them were or worked by or walked by a farm. So they knew, man, I got to put the seed in the ground to get the harvest I want. Principle of the seed, Okay. So Jesus is speaking into this, and, and this verse, this section, excuse me, of Scripture we've just read gives four incredible promises coupled with four very hard, not easy, challenging conditions. Here it is. Your life will be fruitful. Sign me up. Who, who wants significance? Who wants purpose? Who wants to feel like, man, my life makes a difference? God put that desire in you. You, don't, you may not even know God by the name Jesus, but you know you have that desire. But how many people want to fall to the ground and die? Here it is. You will have eternal life if you hate worldly life. Great promise, hard condition. You will be with Jesus if you follow him. You will be honored by the Father if you serve Jesus. And so Jesus just brings those two to think those things together and teaches the principle of the seed. And they're done in such a beautiful way to entice us to want to follow Christ according with these conditions and reap the harvest and the blessing. And, and that harvest and blessing that we maybe know because, you know, oh, yeah, I want to go to heaven. I want to go to the bad place. Well, the principle of the seed applies. Jesus had to die for you. Jesus had to die instead of you. But we can't just stop there because we also died with him. And if he's going to bear fruit in us and through us, the principle of the seed applies to us as well as to Jesus. Now, Jesus then, and this is what I love about John and I love about this passage, now Jesus is going to make it personal. He doesn't exempt himself from this very thing, this very principle, the principle of the seed. He doesn't. Look what he says. He goes, my soul is troubled. Why is his soul troubled? Because he's about to die. And he's not just about to die, uh, you know, how most people want to die. He's going to die horrifically horrifically, 
like the Romans spent hundreds of years perfecting this to be the most painful, long-lasting method of death ever. And so hey, my soul is troubled. He's about to bear the wrath of God for my sins and yours. So he's going to experience like separation from the Father. So what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. That's what we say. It's what I would say. God, get me out of this. God, I, don't want, I want the fruit part, but I don't want the death part. But that's why I came to this hour. He embraces it. And, and, he, and, and we and God and the Holy Spirit want us to see this, that God himself lived by the principle of the seed. He modeled the principle of the seed. And, and the harvest of the principle of the seed is we can be saved. We can have eternal life. So he says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. God the Father gives Jesus assurance that, hey, this is my plan. This will work out. And then Jesus says, listen, as for me, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I have to be put in the ground. I have to die. I have to experience death. I have to die for you. But here's, I'm going to draw all people to myself. People will see with eyes of faith what I did on the cross when I died for you, that they will come and want to be with me as part of my family and my kingdom. That's the birth of Christianity. And that's the life of a Christian. So he said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. So, what we need to hear this weekend together as our church family and our, our church is God's calling us, and he's calling us to live by the principle of the seed as modeled by Jesus. And, and I, and I want to say this very, very clearly, okay? If God is not asking us to do anything hard, it's not the God who is, it's the God you want. And that God doesn't exist. Okay? People ask me all the time, how do I hear from God? How do I hear from God? That's principle, I don't know, it's the top three ways to hear from God, right? That's how you know the voice of God, one of the ways. Now, this call that I'm hoping and praying we all hear it in some capacity, in some form or fashion this weekend. This call includes the cross because through the cross, God persuades us that he loves us unconditionally. You hear it in the father-son interaction that we just read. The father loves the son. He's not giving up on the son, but the son has to go to the cross. As the people of God, we have to go through the principle of the seed to get the harvest and the fruit from the seed, Right? But we're assured when we look at Christ of God's unconditional love. Another thing about this call. This call is designed by God to produce a type of person. God's call, listen, this is, this is so important. This is so important, okay? God's call is not designed to produce weak, casual, lukewarm Christians. And one of the reasons, in my estimation that we have a weak, casual, lukewarm faith in our country, maybe in some of our hearts here this weekend, is because we've never really heard the call of God. At least from the God who is. Maybe we heard it from the God we want, 
but not from the God who is. And, and, and so I want you to listen, though. Okay, lean in for just a second and bear with me, okay? This is a constant call to remain in this posture of the principle of the seed. You know, our church is 20 years old this year, right? So I, I've told you this before. It, it's a ton of reflection and nostalgia for me. You know, I was 27 when I moved back here and uh, started Rockbridge with Beth and 20, 25 of you. And I, I, I think about this a lot, okay? I think about, do I have the same kind of faith today than I did back then? Because, I mean, back then, I mean, you know, we, we left everything. You know, we had a, my wife has a pre, precondition health-wise. And, you know, you, many of you know she had leukemia later on. And, you know, we left the security of the Navy. And, uh, you know, the Navy uh, trained me how to operate nuclear reactors. And so they, pay, they were like, hey, we'll pay you this much to stay in the Navy. I mean, I remember that conversation like it was yesterday. Tried to convince me to stay, and I'm like, I can't. You know, it's hard, not easy. But, and they were telling me, this is going to be hard what you're doing, planting a church. I'm like, I know. And I mean, I didn't know what I didn't know. If I probably did know, I might not have moved back. I don't know, you know. But I'm just like, God, do I still have that same kind of faith that I did back then? Because let's face it, nobody drifts to die, the principle of the seed. Nobody drifts to do that. Where do we drift toward? Casual, convenient, comfortable, safe. I think God's calling us back to live by this principle. And and this call, it looks and feels nothing like the call of the world. The call of the world appeals to to popularity and peer pressure and what's, you know, the, the, the power structures of the world, it looks and feels nothing like it. And, and, and even sometimes we as Christ followers or we in the church, we get kind of duped. And, and let me show you how I think Satan works. Have you ever heard people say, well, I just don't have a peace about it? Listen, Jesus, he's admitted it. His heart's troubled. He didn't have a peace about going to the cross. And let me say something. If you don't have a peace about it, but God's asking you to practice the principle of the seed, Go with the principle and don't wait for the peace. You hear? Let me say that again. Don't use, I don't have a peace about it as an excuse if the principle of the seed is in play. Okay? I'll give you a simple example. If you're estranged from somebody, wife, spouse, and you know you got to go apologize, I don't feel good about it. Don't wait for the peace if you want the fruit of reconciliation. And I could use that in about 700 examples, but we don't have time for it. Now, finally, the great news is this. There's a difference maker. It's the Holy Spirit, the helper, the counselor, the comforter. He helps us. Hear the principle of the seed. He helps us live the principle of the seed. Okay? Listen to what Jesus said. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will glorify me. That's his goal. Because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. So, spirit of truth. And the truth is the principle of the seed is in play. 
It's why we as a church have been memorizing this, right? He must increase, but I must decrease. John 3.30, we've been memorizing that, right? The Holy Spirit will guide us to live the truth, right? So here's how we're going to close. Just want to ask a question, and then we're just going to give space for the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Where does the principle of the seed need to be practiced in your life? Remember my, my, my previous statement, okay? My previous statement is this, right? If, God, if, if God's not calling us to do something hard, not easy, or challenging, then it's not the God who is, it's the God we want. And, and as we go through some of the things and, and get into a posture of prayer, I wrote this down, and I want to just read it verbatim so I don't mess it up, okay? Because I think this is helpful. The thing I need to die to but instead hold on to, that's holding me back from God's best. All right? So let's start with some relationship stuff, marriages. If you go read Ephesians 5, you will see that a godly biblical marriage operates by the principle of the seed. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And how did he love the church? He died for the church. Wives, respect or submit to your husbands. Principle of the seed. So we're doing something we've never done is we've got a marriage conference that's coming up on February 11th and 12th. There's pro unless you have a really good reason... And unless your marriage is Jesus, <laughs> you probably ought to try to come, all right? But I, I just think it's too important, you know, uh, uh, so many stories we've heard, and, and we just need to invest in our marriages. So I just want to encourage our church to take advantage of that. And then here's what I want to do. We're going to enter and close in a posture of prayer. You can pray with your eyes open. You can pray with your head bowed and your eyes closed, okay? It's between you and the Lord. But we're in a posture of prayer at this moment on, Okay. And I just want us to pray through. I've got some categories I'm going to share with you on the screen. I will talk through them, but there needs to be some silence and some sacred space in our souls so we can hear the difference maker. We can hear the spirit of truth. We can hear him when he nudges, when he speaks, when he says, and some of you already know, but I think we got to give space to God. And trust that the Holy Spirit's here. We've invited him to be here. His word is being read. The Son of God is being preached. All the conditions for the Holy Spirit to be here are here. So he's here. Receive that. Believe that by faith. And now we go to him in prayer. However you want to pray. Whatever posture you need to be in. But let's just think about it. Where does the principle of the seed need to come into play? Is there a relationship? We're praying right now. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is there a relationship where I need to die to something so that relationship can bear more fruit, come, come, come to life, come back to life. Maybe I need to die to a preference. Maybe I need to die to a grudge. Maybe I need to die to anger. Maybe I need to offer forgiveness. Maybe I need to die to my pride that wants them to go first. Whatever it is, just relationships. Holy Spirit speak. Decisions. Maybe there's a decision you're facing. And that decision is being clouded by your will, your agenda, your, your personal preference for what you want to happen, and you're not able to clearly hear from God because you haven't died to those things. So maybe that's the principle of the seed. Holy Spirit, you're the spirit of truth. Guide your people in the truth. Maybe there's something good in your life right now. Holy Spirit, sometimes the good is the enemy of the best. And maybe we need to die to something good so we can receive best or get to best. Holy Spirit, would you just make that clear right now? Serving and ministry. 
God wants all of us to serve. God wants all of us to have ministry. God wants all of us to be involved in building his church. But sometimes we have to die to our schedule, to our, to our conveniences, to, uh, to, 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 to die to something else that we would prefer to do. So, uh, so Holy Spirit, guide your people into truth. Worship. We're talking a lot about how we worship at Rockbridge. We talked about worship being a Shechem moment. Holy Spirit, sometimes worship is impeded or biblical worship that the Father receives and honors and blesses. Sometimes our worship is more driven by what we want and our preference. And God, maybe we need to die to that. Maybe we need to die to our passivity in worship. God, Spirit of truth, guide us because you want worshipers. Maybe there's a sin issue that we're dealing with, and we realize the reason that sin is still alive because we've never gone to the cross with Jesus with that sin and seen that sin as cursed and seen that sin as what put Jesus on the cross. Spirit of truth, would you guide us? Would you guide us? And then salvation. Maybe there's people here tonight on Thursday and on Sunday this weekend. And we have never given our lives to Jesus. We've never, because we want to hold the steering wheel. Or we want part of Jesus, but not all of Jesus. So spirit of truth, maybe we need to die so Jesus, you can come alive in us. Because you're not going to compete with us. You're going to just call us to yourself. So Holy Spirit, you just have this moment in our souls and our minds and our hearts. Holy Spirit, you're way better than me at making things clear. So Holy Spirit, we just give you this space. Where do we need to practice the principle of the seed? Jesus, as we close this time of prayer, move back into a time of responding and worshiping, we're still praying. God's Spirit still can still speak. But I just want to invite all of us to keep our eyes of faith upon Jesus Christ. Because he went to the cross for every single one of us. He died for us. So that we might say, Lord Jesus, I have been crucified with you. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in you, the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. In your name we pray. Amen.